Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. continue in our series today and we're talking about the word of the year that we believe for Bethel is step and in Proverbs 16 9 it says this in their hearts human plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps so we've talked each week and we continue to talk about four things four steps that we believe God is calling us to do and so what are those four steps that we believe God is calling us to do give me some feedback what do you, what are the four steps we're talking about step step in step on step out and step up does anybody else know those except for the two front rows I hope you remember these because I actually believe this is what God is calling you to and me. But it's not just a couple people. If you're sitting here through this series and you're sitting here through this year going, I don't really think God's calling me to step up, to step out, to step in or step on. Then what is he actually doing in your life? See, we sang earlier a song and I'm going to butcher the lyrics because I don't know lyrics. But it said... I'm going to lift my arms and lay my life down. I'll tell you what I did in the front row as your pastor. I didn't raise my hands, and I paused for a minute, and I asked God if I could actually sing these lyrics. Because I wanted God to speak to my heart. Because as the band plays, I believe any one of us can be like, yep, lift my hands up, lay my life down. When I walk out, I'm going to do everything I want to do. How many times do we sing stuff that we actually don't mean? I believe God is calling every one of us to step out, to step up, to step in or step on this year. And if you're sitting here and you say, well, Chad, I actually don't believe that's for me. I think this is the year I'm supposed to have off. (laughs) When Enoch was gone, was done, God took him. When Moses was done, he died. When Jesus was finished, he went to heaven. Do you see the pattern? When Jesus is done using you, when it's your year off, you'll probably be dead. So what is he asking you to do? And if you're like, I'm still not sure, then that is where you need to get on your knees and say, okay, God, what are you asking me to do? And I'm not, don't hear a pastor going, oh, he wants us to serve in the church. No, you need to make sure you listen to pastor's, uh, Pastor Melissa's message from last week. What is he calling you to do in your workplace? What is he calling you to do outside of these walls? This is what I believe he is calling us to this year. I grew up uh, playing fastball. 
I grew up playing fastball my whole uh, child life and then into my uh, late teens and I think my early 20s before I moved away from home. And one of the things is this, when I played it when I was really young, I always played on my brother's team. My brother is two years older than me and because we had a single mom for a long time and then we only had one vehicle, uh, it seemed like my brother's age group was always short players. And so what they did was they're like, hey, let's make it easy on the McLarens and just put Chad on their team. So I always played with people older than me, never played with my own age group until I was 16 years old. And then finally I got to play with my own age group and realized, you know what, I actually wasn't half bad. I was just playing against guys that are two years older than me. And then what happened was I played one year of my own age group and then it was over because that's the highest it went was 16 and at 17 I had to go play men's fastball. So I went from one year playing every inning, and I either played shortstop or third base because I had a good strong arm. And so I always played every inning. I was like second or third batter because I could hit and I could run. And then all of a sudden I move up to the men's league, and I got really good at keeping that bench warm. (laughs) I paid the same amount of money as everybody else. I showed up early to every game like everybody else. The one thing I did that nobody else did was I packed up all the gear at the end of the game because I was the rookie. And I carried it to the car. I remember one game, I would get into games every once in a while, but I would always play right field or left field. And we kind of know if you play ball, if you are in right field, it means you're probably not the best outfielder. Because most people hit to left field because they're right bat- hitting batters. There's people in the room like, I thought I was in right field because I was good. I thought it was like the right field. So they stuck me in right field a lot of times because I was the youngest. And then I remember being at a game. And the way it was is you could sub somebody into a game and sub them back out for the same person going back in. But once the first sub was out, they couldn't go back in. I hope you followed that. So I'll explain it. I was sitting on the bench. We had a guy playing, and he got a hit, but he couldn't run fast. And it was getting later in the game, so they put me in at first base because I could run. So I immediately get to first base, and all I'm thinking is, coach is going to give me the steal signal. And I'm standing there, and you can't leave the base until the pitcher lets go of the ball. So I'm standing there, pitcher lets go of the ball, I hop up. Nope. Waiting for the steal signal. No steal signal. I'm waiting, waiting. Off. Nope. Back. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get the steal signal. There's two strikes. Like, let's go. No steal signal. Strike three, inning over. I walk into the bench and I sit down because he goes back on defense and I'm done. That was my game. I didn't even wash my uniform after that one. But can I tell you what I learned? Because see, that was 17 years old. When I turned 18, I played left field all the time. When I was 19, I was our starting center fielder the whole time. I batted really low, but if you saw some of our pitchers, you would understand. Um, One of them actually came down to Kitchener in the World Series of fastball and broke the record because his first three games, he struck out uh, 60 batters. And just so if you're wondering the math, that means is in each game, 
one out was either a ground ball or a fly ball. All the others he struck out. And so that's who we batted against. So I didn't get a lot of hits. I'm just being honest. Um, but here's what I learned. I learned there's a training season. I learned that just because I'm a part of a team doesn't mean I always get to play. I learned that even though, even though I knew I was a ball player, and I actually knew I was a good ball player, there was still a season in my life where I just filled in. I only got to play. I only got called onto the field when the coach said, okay, right now. And it might have been just for a couple seconds. I might have actually not even got to do anything. And it was such a lesson for me that I had to wait. This morning, I want to talk to you about the life of David. I want to talk to you about the life of David. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you for how you prepare us in life. And Lord, this morning as we talk and we share from your word, I ask you to hide me behind the cross and let my words be your words. Speak through me today. Lord, I pray for open ears and open hearts to hear your word, to leave here transformed. Lord, encourage every one of us and poke every one of us. Holy Spirit, we give you permission in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're introduced to David and his family in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. And it says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So what you have to realize here is in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Saul wins a battle against the Amalekites. God instructs him and tells him, hey, you're going to win this battle. Go destroy everything. Every animal, every human, doesn't matter. Destroy everything that they have. But Saul captures the king, and then all of his army kept some of the best animals for themselves. And then it says that God is upset. And here is what God says to Samuel in chapter 15, verse 11. I regret that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. I don't know about you, but I wonder sometimes how much God cares about the details. How much does he care about the details? How much does he care about the instructions that he gives us that he wants us to follow? See, here's what you have to understand. When God gives you, when God gives me an instruction, it's not a suggestion. Right? We have to realize when God speaks to us, he is not suggesting to us. He's instructing us. He's correcting us. He's leading us. So Samuel goes and sees Saul, and Saul is excited because he won the battle. And he did what God told him to do. This is what Saul believes. And I honestly believe there's so many of us in this room that God asks us to do something. He gives us all the details, and we follow all of them except for one. 
And it's not even that we're like, let's be disobedient. We might forget. We might interpret it wrong. Our heart, I believe, is pure. But I also believe Saul's heart was pure. And so he's so excited. So Samuel calls him out on what he has done. He's like, when Saul is excited, Samuel goes, why do I hear sheep? Saul blames his soldiers. And then he tells Samuel, we brought the animals back so we could do a sacrifice to God. I was disobedient, but I did it for the glory of Jesus. So what do we learn in this situation? We learn that when in doubt, we blame others. And many of us are really good at this. If we're honest, if we're truly honest, it's our natural reflection, right? Like we deflect immediately. When we know we're in trouble, most of us will blame somebody else. Most of us will lie. Not too many of us will immediately go, I screwed up. Most of us are just like Saul. Here's what Samuel's reply to Saul's response. He says this in Samuel 15, 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. See, God actually wants us to obey him more than sacrifice. He actually wants our obedience. See, when we say, oh, I'm so tired, but you know what? I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to go to church this morning. You're not doing God a favor. I think too often we're like, I'm doing this for God. God sent his son to die for you so that you could have eternal life, that I could have eternal life. And I will tell you, I still don't deserve it. He actually deserves our obedience more than our sacrifice. See, when Jesus is entering Jerusalem in Luke 19, the Pharisees tell him to rebuke his disciples because they're praising him. And then Jesus answers this in verse 40 of uh, Luke 19. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, I understand, and Pastor Melissa did this morning, that we talk about giving God a sacrifice of praise. But do you realize that Scripture just tells us to praise Him? What would our worship be like? How would your worship change if you started to worship God out of obedience? More than sacrifice. What if your heart as you walked in was like, my life sucks, things are horrible, we're fighting, my finances are upside down, I might lose my job, my marriage is on the rocks, I think my kids hate me. I'm going to worship Jesus because he's worthy. Amen. Not, Lord, I'm going to do you a favor and out of sacrifice worship you. How is that approach different? when we stop making it about us. So Samuel corrects Saul about how God wants us to be obedient. In chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Saul loses his kingdom. 
He lost his kingdom because he disobeyed. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because they disobeyed. Obedience to God is so important. And then this brings us back to chapter 16. So Samuel is heading to Bethlehem to Jesse's house. Samuel invites Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. Samuel sees Jesse's oldest son, Elab, and believes this is God's pick. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at word appearance, but I, the Lord, look at the heart. So what do we realize that God looks at in a leader? No, he says heart, but he also says it doesn't matter if you're short or tall. He said, don't look at the height. I, I felt confident about that. That actually brought me a pat on the back. I was like, okay, we're good. But I think it's interesting because if you remember when they picked Saul as king, they talked about Saul being a head above everybody else in height. So there was a stra his structure drew attention. So Jesse sends seven of his sons past Samuel, but God hasn't chosen any of them. And then Samuel asks him this, is this everyone? And Jesse answers, they're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel says, send for him, send for him, go get him. And we won't sit until he gets here. I don't know how far David's away, but they're going to stand and wait. So David arrives and Samuel anoints him as king. Anoints him as king. And then what happens is we see that Saul is now being tormented by an evil spirit, which I think is interesting that scripture tells us it's sent to him by God. And so we find out that they go, hey, we need somebody who can play a nice instrument so it will soothe it and it will send the demon away. That also lets you know there's power in worship. Your house is being tormented. Your houses just feel tense. It feels like you're arguing about everything. I would play some music. I would play some worship music. Because David just played the lie or whatever it's called, the harp, and he played it, and when he played, the demons left. The spirit left. I find it interesting that they say this in 1 Samuel 16, 19. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse, because his workers were like, hey, Jesse has a son, and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Where's David? Okay. So David is anointed as king and he heads right back to where he was forgotten about and overlooked in the first place. David knew that he was called but served where he was needed until God placed him where he wants him. Is there something that you are called to? Is there something that I am called to? But you and I have given up serving because we haven't been placed where God said he would place you. You and I could miss out on where God wants us and needs us if we're not willing to continue to serve, to continue to do what he's asking us to do. David goes back and forth from playing for the king and looking after the sheep. 
Think about how humbling this must have been for him. Here is a guy sitting on your seat. On the throne. And he's being tormented by a spirit because he disobeyed and actually isn't supposed to be sitting on the throne anymore. But God hasn't removed him. He's not teaching Saul something. He's teaching David. And here you are being called in to play music to make the guy sitting on your seat feel better. See, here's the difference. In our world today, when we feel we're called to something, we feel it's inside of us that God is calling us. Maybe a couple people have pointed it out. In their day, the prophet poured oil over his head, which says, you're the king. So David is not trying to figure out what God has called him to. He knows. And David just serves. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is where I feel that things get a little fun. The Israelites and the Philistines have lined up for battle. And they're both set up on the hills with the valley between them. And they have a champion warrior named Goliath. Goliath was there with the Philistines. See, what you have to understand is back in those days, for battles to be won, a lot of people died. Because it wasn't bombs, it wasn't guns, it was hand-to-hand combat. So when you fought, a lot of people would die. So what they would do sometimes is just say, it was almost like a bet. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send my best fighter. You send your best fighter. One person dies. Not everybody. But here's what happens. If my guy wins, you all serve us. If our guy wins, we will all serve you. They're betting on who's going to win the fight. So here's Goliath. Now, Here is something I believe many of us read over and we skim it and we go, that's a great story. But I want to show you something. Can you bring that over to me? I think I'm tall enough to do this on the stage with a stepladder. If I can open the stool. There we go. I'm going from the floor to make sure I'm tall enough. All right, let's see how high I have to go. Maybe I'm not tall enough. I might be getting a volunteer. Where are we? Oh, man, I don't know if I'm tall enough. (laughs) And now I'm also like, don't fall from up here. No, I'm not tall enough. Right there. That's Goliath. Goliath, they say, is about nine foot nine. So we're talking about David is a kid. All right, you guys are actually too tall. Where's a kid in the room that's a little bit shorter? Because David, I don't think, was a tall kid. Sandy, come on over here. Sandy's not a kid, but you're not tall either. Exactly. So here is David and Goliath. Okay, stay there for a minute. I think when we read David and Goliath, we skim it. And we say, oh yeah, David killed Goliath, move on. And when we read that it says like he's like six cubits tall, we immediately are like, 
That's cool. Six cubics and a span. Not spam. Span. Like, is that a hand span? Whose hand? But this is basically the height difference. And David goes to fight him. He also, just through the size of Goliath, he's wearing armor. Just the armor weighs 125 pounds. Do you know how big you have to be to be able to not just walk with 125 pounds on you? Extra body weight, not just your weight. Some of us are like, I'd love to walk with 125 pounds. I don't remember 125 pounds. But I can tell you that walking with an extra 125 pounds and not just walking, he's fighting in it. So he's agile. For any hockey players in the room, you're playing hockey with 125 pounds of equipment on you. Pick whatever your hobby is, whatever you love, and imagine doing it with 125 pounds and how strong you have to be to really think like, oh yeah, he's going to feel like it's nothing. And then his spear weighs about 15 pounds. So I want you to think about shot put in high school. I don't even, I think the shot put was 12 pounds for the seniors. And you're shot putting it because you shouldn't throw it. And he's launching a javelin spear that's 15 pounds. Understand something for you in this illustration. We have to remember that whatever the giant is that you're facing in your life today, no matter how big he looks, Sandy, look straight up. <laughs> Two reasons. One, I've never done that before in my life. <laughs> Only to toddlers. <laughs> Two, I want you to realize that when you look at the Goliath, the mountain, whatever it is in your, in your life, God does not see him the same as you. Because God's looking down. And too often do we worry about the size of the giant and we forget the size of our God. You can keep that. Thanks, Andy. Every day, Goliath would come out and mock the Israelites. So if you're like, Chad, I face this giant every day. Every day, Goliath came out and mocked them. And no one would fight him. I find it interesting that it went on for 40 days. It happened for 40 days. And then this is what's happening with David. First Samuel 17 and verse 17 says this. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this Ephraim, of roast grain and these 10 loaves of bread to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheese, cheeses to the commanders of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring some assurance from them. So early in the morning, David leaves for camp. He doesn't know what's happening. Jesse doesn't know what's happening. But Jesse wants to report, how are my boys? How are they doing? So David, go to the camp. So David leaves in the morning, he gets to camp, and everyone, as he gets to camp, everyone has just kind of finished breakfast, they're heading to their posts. So he delivers the bread and the cheese, and then he goes and finds his brothers, he's checking in with them to see how they're doing, and they're just small talking. And then all of a sudden, Goliath 
walks out and starts yelling again and mocking the Philistines and their God, or the Israelites, sorry. And then here's what happens. David sees this. The Israelites, when Goliath would show up, the Israelites would run and hide. I don't understand this. What confuses me a little bit as I read this scripture is every day they would go to their post, every day Goliath would show up, and then they would run and hide. I'm like, why do you just go to your post? Anybody else read scripture sometimes? I'm like, I, I would just stay at camp and eat more breakfast. It's like, in a few minutes, I'm going to run and hide anyway. Can I just have some more hash browns? It's second breakfast time. And then when you read in chapter 17, if you continue reading, you understand that Saul has now offered any man who kills Goliath great wealth. You don't even have to pay taxes anymore. And you get to marry his daughter. This is what you get. Great wealth, no taxes, and you get to get marry his daughter. It doesn't describe his daughter. I'm not sure if that's a prize or not. I'm not sure. Not sure. You know how when baseball players and hockey players, when they do trades and all of a sudden they're like, they kind of slide this one in. You're kind of wondering like, great wealth, no taxes, and I have no idea. So here is David. He's talking about fighting Goliath. And David is getting angry. See, all the other ones ran and hid. But David was getting angry at what Goliath was saying and doing. So he decides, in my understanding of my version, he's going to take him down. As David is talking about fighting Goliath, Saul hears it. So he calls for David. And David told him that he would fight Goliath. And Saul told him, like, listen, you can't fight Goliath. You're a young man, and he is a warrior. And so here's what David says in 1 Samuel in response to Saul. Verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant was, has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. The rest of 37 says that Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So David goes, he grabs five stones at the riverbank. Him and Goliath mouth off at each other a little bit like most people do before a fight. <laughs> it's in the scriptures, they do. They kind of chirp back and forth. And then David runs at him. And as he's running at him, he grabs his rock, starts spinning this sling. Now you have to understand, it wasn't just a boy with his slingshot like Dennis the Menace. Okay. <laughs> These shepherds would have learned how to throw with this slingshot. Not just, they actually learned both hands so that they could fight. Okay, so he is spinning this. He launches it. And we know this part of the story. It hits, or it hits Goliath right in the head. Right into his skull. Sinks and he drops. Now here is the part that we leave out in Sunday school. 
Goliath is not dead. He's knocked out. So David comes up, and this is why we leave it out of Sunday school, and because we don't color in this picture. <laughs> Can you imagine walking? Most of you that know the story, you're like, yep. Imagine walking into a nursery or a kid's room, and this picture is muraled on the wall. <laughs> so David walks up, takes Goliath's sword out. It says he killed him, and then he cut off his head. Right? Anybody that's like, I actually didn't read the story after Sunday school. I was not aware that this was a rated R story. <laughs> Cuts his head off. The interesting thing is, as you continue to read through this, David then took his head with him to Jerusalem. He didn't just cut it off and leave it there. He took his sword and his head. <laughs> and left. And he went to Jerusalem. He brought it with him when he went to see Saul. It was his trophy. Now David is a hero and everybody knows his name. And as the men are returning from the victory back to Jerusalem, the people are beginning to dance and sing. And this is what they're singing. You read it in 1 Samuel 18, 7. It says this, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And so we'll stop reading there and we're just going to talk about it for a few minutes because from here on, for about the next 12 to 13 uh, chapters, David and Saul have a very interesting relationship. So I want to quickly go back as we're running out of time. I want to quickly go back over the last two chapters and I want to talk about how David stepped up in these situations. See, David was out in the field as he was asked to come in and step in front of the prophet Samuel. That was his first thing. He had to come and step in front of him. And then he gets anointed as king. And then what does he do? He steps out to the field to look after the sheep. And then he steps back into the story to play for Saul to calm him. And then once he calms him, he steps back out to the sheep again. See, while David is in the field, he got to know God deeper. He used his field time to grow in a relationship with God. See, your field time, if that's where you feel you are right now, it's not that you are forgotten. You're actually in training. You're growing in your relationship with Jesus. So don't sit in frustration. Push into the Father and grow in your relationship with him. This is where we grow in our understanding of God's holiness. See, when we encounter God in the fields... In those moments where we feel forgotten, we feel alone, and we're trying to figure out, I was just in, why am I right back out? I thought this was going to be the path, and now I'm back over here. God, what are you doing? These are the moments where we grow deeper with God. To a point, remember when Moses went up the hill, he spent time with God, he came back, he was glowing? When you spend time with the Father, you should be a light to other people. See, when he hears Goliath insulting the Israelites and God, he steps up to fight in the battle. And then he steps onto the field of battle. See, David goes from the field that he was once forgotten to the field where he'll always be remembered in one day. 
We talk about what God is calling us to. We talk about whether it's ministry, whether it's workplace related, but God is calling each and every one of us that he is asking us to step in. See, he has gifted you. He has prepared you with the challenges in your life. Just as David dealt with lions and bears, what you have dealt with were the things that were preparing you for the things that he's calling you to. But see, David had to do one more thing to step out before God before he could step up and step on. He had to step into the open opportunity that was presented to him. I don't know about you guys. Anybody like cheese? Few people. It's okay to like cheese. I feel like everybody's like, Am I, is this a trick? <laughs> David had to step into the open opportunity to serve his brothers one more time. To serve his dad. For his dad asked him, I need you to deliver cheese. Dad, maybe you forgot, but I'm, I'm king. Do you forget what you called me to? I don't think the people around me understand what God has anointed me for. They weren't there when Samuel poured the horn of oil on my head. You want me to do what? I need you to go and deliver cheese. If he wasn't willing to deliver cheese, he would not have been able to step up and step on to what God had called him to. What is God asking you to do that is hard for you to do? Not because it's actually hard, but because it's cheese. Can't someone else do that? Do you know how long I've been here? Do you know how long I did that for? I think I've graduated from that. David continued to go back and forth to the field. Not be for punishment, for training. Well, Chad, I think I've trained everything that God is going to train me in. Did he put you back in the field? Then there's probably more. See, God is asking each and every one of us to deliver cheese. And we never know what's on the other side of that cheese. You don't know. You don't know what's on the other side of that. See, if we're faithful with little, we will be faithful with much. Let's pray. Prayer team, will you come to the front? Father, I thank you that you give us the ability to learn. And let, Lord, you help us to learn and to grow while we're in the fields. And that, Lord, it takes humility for us to wait and to train. And so, Father, I ask you to give us the humility that we need to serve wherever you ask us to serve, to do whatever you ask us to do, big or small. Lord, I pray that you help us to deliver the cheese. Lord, help us to trust in God, to trust in you, that, Lord, when you open the door for us, that we'll know that we know how to deal with it. Just the same confidence that David had because of the lion and the bear, that we know that we are prepared because of the times in the field. So, Lord, help us to use those times wisely.
Forgive us of the times we didn't deliver the cheese. And Lord, help us. Lord, I pray that you give us another opportunity so we can step through the door that you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 